Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Finally, Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle once again. It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina and beyond listening to us on fantastic radio stations like Fox Sports Radio 1400 in the Midlands, Sports Radio 100.1, The Fan in Florence at 920 a.m. in Manning. Good to be with you in the Midlands, the PD, and the Low Country. And speaking of the Low Country, I am doing a back porch edition of the show that shakes the Southland from Fripp Island, South Carolina, a lovely little island if you've never made your way down here just past Beaufort. A little getaway, if you will, and been coming down here for many, many years with my family and Today, I've got my brother-in-law, Harry Dest, hanging out with me. We're going to talk with him a little bit about the ins and the outs of some of the old-school stories and maybe some of the old-school players from the Atlantic Coast Conferences. He was growing up in the state of North Carolina uh, during uh, the ACC's basketball heyday, some would say, and it's a league now. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this has really become a league that, in my opinion, has shifted uh, to the football front when you look at bringing it in. Teams like Miami, you look at the success that Clemson's had. You talk about the Florida State Seminoles uh, and their run of success that they've had since joining the league. All in all, there's been a a significant shift from the old school, perhaps what you might call the tobacco road era of the basketball where Dean Smith dominated things and Frank McGuire. Uh, You know, we'll talk about some of the, the good old days here with Harry Dest on the show that shakes the Southland this afternoon. But without further ado, he's sitting beside me for a reason because we're going to dive into it. HD, you are a guy that, that grew up following sports in the state of North Carolina and really more specifically maybe the Atlantic Coast Conference. I know you're a Notre Dame guy as well, but looking back on it, you know, now kind of comparing the league, you heard me mention how it seems to be a little bit more football centric. I'm assuming that's financial dollars that went into that. But from your standpoint, I mean, do you feel like you've seen that shift? And by the way, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Lawton. Yes, I can remember as a young kid growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, where when you talked about ACC basketball, I mean, basketball was king in the ACC. I mean, you had the great North Carolina teams, Duke teams, of course, NC State in the early 1970s. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and how they beat UCLA in 1974 for the uh, NCAA championship, which was a remarkable accomplishment when you think about that time frame and how UCLA was a dominant force in college basketball. But, yes, I think there has been a huge shift, obviously because of Clemson's success in Florida State, as you mentioned. Football now has become probably the the dominant sport when you talk about all college sports, but particularly – in the ACC, but as a kid, of course, I'm a lot older than you growing up in Charlotte. Basketball was something that just dominated every young boy's life, you know, from from the time they were a small child all the way up until high school. And for me, my memories really were of the ACC basketball, some of the greats from the, the 1970s. And uh, certainly at that time, as I remember it, as a young boy, South Carolina had some fantastic teams as well with Frank McGuire, and then they left the ACC around 1970. And, uh, you know, that was that was a huge rivalry, North Carolina and South Carolina uh, back in the day, and certainly Frank McGuire's success was something that is, is well known. But basketball clearly was the dominant sport back in the, in the 1970s growing up as a young boy in North Carolina. All right, so I want to ask you about that, about South Carolina and the Atlantic Coast Conference uh, in the 60s with, with uh, Frank McGuire, as you mentioned, being their head coach. He was the former head coach at, at North Carolina. Obviously, there was a, a great rivalry, John Roach, all these great players that came through that program. Uh, from the standpoint uh, of South Carolina, for all our Gamecock listeners peeking over the fence that you know, might be – too young to recall 
what that moment was like. Because we've seen conference shifts through the years. I just mentioned Florida State coming into the ACC, but they came from an independent status. Obviously, Boston College, Virginia Tech, and Miami, they come in, and, and Syracuse, they, they come in uh, to the league from the Big Ten, but or excuse me, from the Big East. But from the standpoint of that moment in time, did teams typically – leave conferences was it something that was the norm or what do you recall that being a, a pretty big storyline locally nationally I mean we didn't have ESPN like we have it I mean what do you remember what it was like yeah. when South Carolina left the Atlantic Coast Conference being a kid that had grown up watching those matchups etc I do remember yes because South Carolina back in the 60s and 70s Certainly had a great basketball program. And as a kid, like I said, it was North Carolina and South Carolina. That was a huge, huge rivalry. And, of course, growing up in Charlotte, you're right on the state line, and you really had a a sharp division in in the fan base there. But um, one of the things that was different in, in those days was that the winner of the conference tournament actually was the representative in the NCAA tournament. So what you would have is basically that the season was somewhat meaningless because the tournament was what determined whether or not you went into the NCAA championship. And as I remember it, South Carolina had some very dominant teams that unfortunately did not win the ACC tournament and therefore didn't get a chance to compete in the NCAA tournament. And that was a huge, huge uh, sticking point is I remember as a young kid, all the fans talking about how the team that wins the regular season should get to the NCAA, and and just and back then they didn't unless they won the tournament. We're hanging out with my brother-in-law Harry Dest here on the show that shakes the Southland, Fripp Island, South Carolina is where we are broadcasting from today, and I hope you all are doing well. I hope you had a great Fourth of July weekend, and you know you you go back to those moments when the NCAA tournament was much smaller. We didn't have 64 teams in, and you didn't have all the controversy about who's getting left out of the bubble because it was all the conference champions. And, and from that standpoint, when you were in a a league that was so basketball centric, would it be fair to say that the you know we we look at what UCLA did? And we look at John Wood and how successful he was. But there were a lot of teams that were really good that weren't in the tournament back then. And I'm not trying to diminish John Wood. I think he's the greatest head coach uh, maybe in, the, you know, I would – I can't really say my lifetime, but in the history of college basketball, I don't know that there's an argument. And possibly, Harry, I would say that maybe in the history of sports, uh, it would be – you could make the argument that John Wooden is perhaps the greatest head coach of all time. But when you eliminate a portion of a power basketball conference every year from a tournament because it was just the the one winner that you mentioned going to the NCAA tournament, I mean, that's a pretty big impact on, you know, if the, for example, if we looked at the SEC and right now in football, yeah, typically only one team gets in, but we saw Alabama and Georgia play for a national title just a couple of years ago in college football. So it it can happen now in this four-team NCAA tournament, but man, in a 32-team NCAA tournament or however many teams were getting in during those years, I don't have all that information in front of me, it certainly limited the number of opportunities for some very good ACC teams that might have been upset in their conference tournament from getting a shot at the national title. Yeah, that's true, and that's why I think they gradually changed the, the the requirements and loosened up the rules to add more teams to the tournament, which I think is a good thing, obviously, because you want as many competitive teams in the tournament. But you know, one of the things that, and as, as we were talking earlier, that's hard to – for people to understand now, but you know, ACC basketball was was king in this area, and for an ACC team to beat UCLA in the national championship was just such a huge accomplishment, and many people took pride in uh, the 1974 NC State Wolfpack team that beat UCLA because, you know, like I said, UCLA was dominant. And I remember as a young boy, just everybody, you know, whether you were a Clemson fan or a <clears throat> NC State, North Carolina Duke fan, they all took great pride in the fact that, you know, at that time frame, you know, they beat the king of college basketball, the, 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 the best team 
and the most dominant uh, school in college basketball history up in that up until that point was UCLA and John Wooden, who is a legendary coach, who clearly had a great influence on the game and and again it was just something that we all marveled at as you know I remember being what 12 13 years old and thinking god we beat UCLA and I wasn't necessarily an NC State fan I, was, I took great pride being from North Carolina and being from the ACC region that 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 accomplishment occurred and it was just a great thing for young kids to see you know looking back on it Harry from that standpoint uh, that NC State team you know I, I think everybody's very familiar with the NC State basketball team that won the title under Jim Valvano uh, in the 80s, in 1983, I believe it was. But that 1974 team, for some of the younger listeners to this show, is probably not nearly as memorable because the way that Houston-NC State game ended and and the fact, you know, Jim Valvano running around looking for somebody to help. I mean, that is an iconic moment in the NCAA tournament's history. That 1974 team from NC State that you brought up, a lot of people might not know a ton about some of those guys. So who were some of those big-name players that were on that ball club that you recall watching growing up? As you said, you weren't a fan, but it was your state. And I, and I could see that to some degree, especially in a state like North Carolina, where there are clearly lines drawn to a degree, but not like the state of South Carolina, where you, you know when you move to South Carolina, they say, who you for? Who you for? Are you for Clemson or are you for South Carolina? In North Carolina, you've got Wake Forest, you've got East Carolina, you've got North Carolina State, North Carolina Duke. So it's maybe not as much who you for because it's not a you know it's not a, a binary choice. It's not either South Carolina or Clemson. But looking back on it, that nineteen seventy four team, who were some of the stars that you recall watching? Now, how old were you in, in nineteen seventy four? Roughly thirteen years. Thirteen. Old. All right. So your your teenage formative. Teenage years here. Uh, who were some of those great names on that North Carolina State team that you remember watching? Well, of course, there's the great David Thompson, who I think was, in my view, probably one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. And in fact, if you look at his his uh, statistics when he played from 1972 to 1974 75 season, you know his statistics were better than anyone's in the ACC, even including um, Michael Jordan. Uh, and of course, Michael Jordan has recently commented that when he was growing up in North Carolina, oddly enough, his favorite player was David Thompson. He tried to emulate his game after David Thompson. And David Thompson was six foot four, small forward, but had a 44-inch vertical jump. He was athletic. He was dynamic. He was a great uh, had a great jump shot. He had a great first step. He was one of those first... Uh, I guess high flyers you would call them back in the 70s that could really sky above the rim. He was extraordinary to watch. I mean, he was just such an amazing player. Of course, Tommy Burleson was the center of the NC State Wolfpack. He was a seven foot four center. Uh, Monty Tao, five foot seven point guard. I mean, these guys were just uh, an incredible team. Tim Stoddard, who uh, was a strong forward, later went on to play actually baseball. Uh, professional baseball for the Baltimore Orioles. He was a pitcher. These guys were great athletes, uh, people that, you know, who are my age remember them because it was like a David versus Goliath matchup, you know, UCLA versus NC State. But again, in, in 1974, Clemson had a good squad. They had Tree Rollins, who was a seven foot three, you know, center. He was extraordinary talent. Skip Wise was a great guard. I remember. I think he was all ACC. I mean, there was a. It was a really competitive league. You know, you had Maryland, North Carolina, NC State, Clemson. They all were battling. You know, during the regular season, and you know they were very competitive. And one of the things that you know I remember too is that you know ACC basketball. You only had one game a week. You know today coverage of college sports is ubiquitous you get you can get any game anytime anywhere but back then you know you only had one game to watch and you had you had, you had one during the week and one on the weekend and so kids would really kind of huddle around the the television and really were excited about the game of the week and again it's just a different time and I realize that but it was something that I remember very vividly as a kid growing up 
Well, and I think, too, Harry Dest here, my brother-in-law, by the way, hanging out with us today, taking a look back down memory lane as we give you the what I'm going to call the Fripp Island Back Porch Edition because that's where we're sitting. The breeze is blowing. The dog's eating on some uh, oyster shells over here, just chewing on them, and we're having a good time talking about old-school uh, Atlantic Coast Conference hoops. And from that standpoint, Harry, you mentioned the fact that there was the game of the week, and I know back then you had, like, uh, fight nights were on Fridays and, and things of that nature because we didn't have the abundance of programming that we have today. So I can only imagine that whether it was winter, spring, summer, or fall, whatever was on television because you had such limited and, and look, you're in a big city. I mean, you're in Charlotte where the over-the-air signal, you're not having to dial it in like the people maybe that are living in Chester just hoping to get a couple of channels. I mean, you got them all. They're coming out of Charlotte. So when you're watching those things, you know all your buddies are watching those things. And so you know, right now we don't have sports. Like it is one thing that is com- – I mean, like you get some soccer internationally. We're seeing some NASCAR. We've got a little golf here and there during this COVID-19 deal. And so a lot of people are watching the same things when they get to watch stuff. But back then, it was kind of the same way in respects to the fact that you knew that your buddy just watched North Carolina and Duke because that was the game of the week and everybody watched it. And so even maybe your father or dads that people wouldn't label today as you – know, there, there are a lot of – football fans today college football grown men that would say yeah i'm not a basketball guy you almost had to be because it was there was nothing else to watch that's true i mean it's changed dramatically and you know of course one thing that you and i were talking about earlier was if there's anything to come out in this covid crisis which is horrible and we pray that we find a vaccine soon and that people um are safe and people can recover from it Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. But it also teaches you you know, what, what we've lost, you know, I mean, we appreciate sports. I mean, I can, you know, I guess I, you know, took for granted, you know, the fact that I could turn on ESPN or turn on NFL Network or watch any sporting event that I want. But, you know, now we can't do that. And uh, hopefully, and I pray that we can, you know, have college football and professional sports and because I think we need it. You know, we desperately are very, comp- uh, desperately seeking something for entertainment and a, you know, relief from the crisis that we're in now. And I just hope that we can have the opportunity to watch college football again, no matter what form it takes, and also watch professional football and professional sports, no matter what form it takes. But you're right, looking back at those days, you know, you didn't have 24-hour ESPN. You didn't have sports available anytime you wanted it. So, you know, you really kind of had to, you know, plan your days, plan your weekends, around the the game of the week and it was it was something that i cherish now looking back on it it was it was a lot of fun a lot of fun harry Dest hanging out with us here on the show that shakes the southland this afternoon if you don't know who he is he's uh my brother-in-law as i mentioned out of the gate we're actually on a little family vacation trying to spend a little time to have a getaway doing the back porch edition 
uh, from his house on, on Fripp Island, and you guys have had the place down here for several years, Harry. It, you know what? If for people that don't know Fripp Island, you know this is not a commercial for Fripp by any means, but I mean, what's the appeal? Uh, to you uh, of coming down here and, and getting to spend time with, you know, not just with family, but with friends, et cetera, and also running into a lot of people that you've met through your years being down here. What's the real appeal for somebody that's never been to Fripp Island, in your opinion? I mean, it's natural beauty, for one thing. I mean, it's tucked away. I mean, it's, a, it's the last barrier island out uh, um, down Highway 21. I mean, you just south of Buford, and it's uh, next to Hunting Island, South Carolina. It's it's you have deer running around you have uh beautiful beaches it's very family oriented and i think it's you know it's less commercial probably because of the terrain there's a lot of marshland out here so i think you know for families who want to just get away and and have a, a beautiful stay at the beach this is this is the ideal spot and you know we've been here since 2008 and uh i love it i mean i just really love it Clemson Sports Talk on the Monday afternoon, heading into the first commercial break. Uh, 803-450-0086 if you want to text us. Lots of great stories up on our website right now. ClemsonSportsTalk.com if you hate typing. ClemsonRadio.com will get you there as well. we got a great article up about Ross Taylor, Clemson's uh, SID, more specifically Dabo Sweeney's SID, part two of that interview, also going to be up today for you over on our website, so make sure you go and check that out again. We're going to hit a quick break. We'll come back. Harry's got a conference call to get to in just a little bit, so we're going to have him on for another segment, and then we'll get him on his way. But you are listening to the show that shakes the Southland. It is Clemson Sports Talk. Stay with us. Clemson Sports Talk on a Monday afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina. Lawton Swan hanging out with you. My brother-in-law, Harry Dest, here as we are doing the back porch edition of the show from Fripp Island, South Carolina. And, Harry, we were talking about the shift to a degree uh, in the Atlantic Coast Conference from being really what people would label as a basketball league back when you were growing up where eh, there were some good football played, but not to the degree that we've seen with Florida State coming into the league, winning national titles in 93 and 99 and 2013, and Clemson won a couple of national titles in 2016 and 2018. So, you know, just from that standpoint, Clemson's rise to prominence, one of the top teams in the country uh, the past half decade now, and, and it's a, a miraculous run, I think, just from the standpoint of anybody who's you know followed enough college football, you know how hard it is to stay on top. And so even without winning you know, two of the national titles that they've played in over the past five seasons, Clemson has secured those two titles that we did mention and then came up short of the championship game a few years ago getting beat by Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, but still – a run that has maybe turned the conversations about the Atlantic Coast Conference to a degree. Maybe not about who they play, and and maybe adding Notre Dame into a five-game slate has also been big for this league, but would you agree with that statement that today's Atlantic Coast Conference, while from the outsiders like the SEC, et cetera, would certainly uh, degrade some of the teams that are playing in the league, and I can't, I can't begrudge them. There are a lot of bad football teams in the ACC too, but – uh, to be more focused on football, I think, is what we see from this league, including maybe Mac Brown's return to North Carolina and the resurgence that they had under him in just uh, one year. And, I mean, he's a coach that's, uh, for you know, lack of a better term, I mean, he's an older head coach, but there's a lot of belief that North Carolina could be a very good team uh, this coming football season. There's no doubt there's been a shift uh with Clemson's success and, of course, Florida State's success prior to that. But I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge uh, from the 80s, though, and late 70s, early 80s, a great, I would say, the greatest defensive player ever to play football since I am a big New York Giant fan. It was Lawrence Taylor coming out of North Carolina in 1981. Uh, certainly transformed the linebacker position in the NFL and defense in the NFL. So, that's an old school going back to uh, you know pre Florida State and pre Clemson success, but clearly with uh, the the talent and the program and the excitement around Clemson Tiger football, it has changed. I think in this area, and of course Dabo Sweeney is an incredible coach. He's an incredible personality, and I think uh, he has added a lot of excitement to this area and rightfully so and I think that now with uh, 
the ACC, you know, return of Mac Brown, who was a successful coach, of course, at won the national championship at Texas, um, and was a, a good coach here in in the ACC. I think he's going to add a, a lot to that program as well. And you know, Lawton obviously to compete against Clemson, which is one of the premier. Uh, schools in the country you're going to have to bring in players and, and the ACC is going to have to try to compete and try to you know do the David versus Goliath type matchups now and, and, and Clemson has the target on their back I mean they are the you know pr- one of the premier programs in college football today with Alabama and Ohio State and so they're in the top three and every year they're going to have to you know be uh challenged and i think that the acc is it's a great conference though i think there's a lot of opportunity for these programs to to you know say look you compete against clemson now you'll be on television you know you have a you have you can be seen so i think those are going to be the things in the future that uh you know for the acc and hopefully there'll be a more balanced and more competitive conference because i think that just only helps the conference and helps of course clemson football you know looking at the league as a whole Right now, you you mentioned the fact that North Carolina's got a chance to have a, a pretty good season with Mac Brown there. Have you been surprised, though, at the lack of success that Miami's had since coming into the league? I mean, that was a team, you know, that was so dominant in the 80s, just had talent stacked on top of talent. But since joining the league back in, I believe it was 2004, they've only made one appearance in the ACC championship game. And, and really, when they came in, most people, fair or unfair, thought that out of the Atlantic Division, it would be Florida State, and out of the Coastal Division, it would be Miami playing in the ACC championship game fairly consistently. But it, it has not materialized. I mean, would that be, in your estimation, one of the biggest surprises, perhaps, in the expansion of this league that Miami hasn't been more successful? I mean, absolutely, I agree with you, because if you think about the state of Florida and all the the great athletes every year that come out of the state of Florida and the success that Miami has had in the past, you think that they could build on that, you know, with being in the ACC. And you would think now having to face Clemson, you know, having in, in, in some capacity, you know, whether it's for the championship or not, I mean, they would, you would think you could attract players in the, you know, for the Miami program because Florida has so many, so many great athletes year in and year out that play uh, not only in ACC but all over the country. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that from that standpoint, it is a, a good bit surprising that you know Miami hasn't done more. I think the other thing, too, right now is just kind of watching Florida State, Mike Norvell coming in there to try to, to get that program headed back in it, the, you know, what I guess you would call the right direction, They to try to fill the shoes of Bobby Bowden with Jimbo Fisher worked out with one championship, but uh, from the standpoint of feeling like that program stayed on the same plane where it was in the 80s with, I think, you know, 15 years finishing in the top five, that obviously uh, has not happened. And so, you know, I think when we you know, really look at this league, if it's ever going to be, I don't know if you want to call it, uh, considered to be on par with the SEC, you got to start seeing – Florida State and Miami step up. And I think, too, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong on this. We got uh, we got about 30 seconds here, I guess. I'll tell you what we'll do. You have time to hang out with us another segment, or you got to run to your conference call? Yeah, I got just a couple more minutes. All right, so we'll, we'll hang on with uh, Harry here on the show that shakes the Southland for just a couple of more minutes because I want to find out about, you know, Notre Dame. I mean, he was a Notre Dame guy growing up. What about their influence on the league? In some respects, it would – uh, not necessarily make a big difference for the Atlantic Coast Conference if Notre Dame continues to be a, a power broker in college football or play in the college football playoff, but how much of an impact does that actually have? We'll finish that up with Harry Des right after this. Clemson Sports Talk on a Monday, the back porch edition of the show. Harry Des, my brother-in-law, hanging out with us for just a couple of more minutes here. He's got to jump on a, a conference call. Somebody slightly bigger than me, CBS News, but hey, that's neither here nor there. Uh, HD, real quick. Uh, you grew up a Notre Dame fan as well. Your family, Catholic, a lot of Catholic kids your age would obviously have been uh, supportive of the Fighting Irish. They're kind of a part of the ACC. They play five ACC football games a year. That does mean that uh, for you and, and especially your brothers, Tommy and Richie, uh, 
the school that you guys really followed also growing up now comes into your backyard every year a couple of times. You could go see the Fighting Irish play, et cetera. From that standpoint, even though they're not a member of the ACC, and when people talk about the ACC in football, they don't mention Notre Dame per se, how valuable, one, is having the Fighting Irish in the league in the sense that they are invested in the Atlantic Coast Conference and the other sports and then obviously playing those five games of football, but maybe even more so from the standpoint of do they help, in your opinion, in any way the ACC's football uh, you know, the, the, not necessarily leverage. I don't know the right terminology I'm looking for here, but you know, do they add to the punch of the Atlantic Coast Conference, even though they're not technically a football member? Absolutely. And by the way, in my opinion, I think they should be a part of the ACC in football because if you think about Notre Dame and the huge alumni organization and and how powerful Notre Dame is throughout the country on so many levels, that it could only enhance the notoriety of the ACC. And, I mean, just think about the Chicago area alone. I mean, Notre Dame is just a stone's throw from the city of Chicago, and so many alumni live in the Chicago area. To bring that into the fold of the ACC would be, would be tremendous. And, and, of course, a lot of my Notre Dame fans, not, like you said, I'm Catholic. I went to Catholic High School, Charlotte Catholic High School. We're all, we all grew up indoctrinated in Notre Dame football, and Notre Dame fans say, well, why would we join the ACC when we have our own network, NBC, and make all this money? Well, the reality is – it would be better for the students. It would be better for the program. And the money situation, you know, I understand that. But it would be great for college football and it would be great for the ACC. So I'm hoping in the future that they do do that. Because obviously, you know, you and I were talking the other day. Well, well hopefully there will be a game in November, Notre Dame and Clemson. I mean, that will be a tremendous ball game with a lot of excitement um, for both schools and, and really for the ACC. HD, I know you got to get out of here. You got a big uh, conference call coming up, man. Appreciate you sharing some of your memories of uh, your time growing up in the Tar Heel State, following North Carolina sports and sports across that state. Then uh, we didn't even really get you to shout out your uh, alma mater, ECU. So, hey, I'm a little ECU form out there. That's right. But uh, nonetheless, man, I appreciate you hanging out. Thank you so much, Lawton. Always good to catch up with Harry and talk a little bit about the Atlantic Coast Conference and, and college football in general. You know, I think he's right on that front about Notre Dame. I, I think it also begs the question at what point, you know, this is a league right now in the ACC that's got 14 teams. I, I've always kind of been a proponent, and we could talk about this coming up on the program. I mean, I've always felt like we're going to get to the point where there are 16 teams uh, in a set number of leagues across the country. That's just going to be the standard. I think the conferences will then sort of – disseminate and break down into where you would only play against the seven teams on one side of the league and then you'd have a conference championship and then I, I think from the standpoint of the geography of it all and spreading the wealth around the country you'd begin to see a team schedule up maybe a game against the SEC a game against the Big Ten a game against the Big 12 and you'd have all the power five power five conferences you know really squaring off at that point but if Notre Dame you know, ultimately were to join the Atlantic Coast Conference as a full-time, full-fledged football member. You know, at that point, who is your 16th? I mean, you've been able to survive playing baseball or, or basketball with, with 15 teams, and there may not be 15 teams. I have to look at the Atlantic Coast Conference's baseball slate because there may be a couple teams that don't play uh, baseball, but just from the standpoint of just from the standpoint of the league and from the standpoint of continuity who's that 16th team you know, i don't think there's any question that Notre Dame comes into the conference at some point down the line i've always felt that way i think their relationship already is too big with the ACC to believe they would go to the Big Ten or to believe that they would go to the Big 12. I certainly don't believe they'd ever be welcomed into the SEC. But in the ACC... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high-fiver... 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take a Way your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. They, it, you know, they've got pretty much their whole body in the door. It's not a foot in the door at this point. It's their whole body. It's like their back leg is still getting ready to be trapped in the door. And so, from that standpoint, who is your other squad? You know, who is the the most likely other team to join the Atlantic Coast Conference? I got a couple of names. I got a couple of schools I'll throw out there. One kind of crazy. One makes a lot of sense. But I think from the standpoint of what, We've seen in college football from teams maneuvering conferences, whether that's Nebraska going to the Big Ten, whether that was Colorado and and, uh, Utah going to the Pac-12, whether that's Texas A&M and Missouri going to the SEC. We've seen maneuvering in college football in the past. But I do believe there are some teams out there and perhaps some notable names that may benefit from a move to the Atlantic Coast Conference could actually, you know, make a, a be a big deal for those schools to have them join the Atlantic Coast Conference. I'll tell you who some of those teams are coming up. By the way, here's what you could do. You want to participate? You tell us. You could text us 803-450-0086. Never while you're driving. You know the rules. Never text us while you're driving. 803-450-0086. You can also hit us up on Twitter, at Clemson Sports, as a raccoon walks by here on the back porch edition of the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk. Again, on Twitter, at Clemson Sports. Your website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. When we get back, I'll give you a couple of names. One you probably already have in the back of your mind. Another that will at least... Raise your eyebrows here on the show that shakes the Southland. Stay with us. Rolling along with you here on the show that shakes the Southland, the back porch edition for Rip Island. That's where I'm hanging out right now. You may have heard the uh, cicadas, I guess, making some noise in the background, perhaps even a golf cart or two cruising by. We're on the back porch and seen some guys come up and uh, hit some yeah, pretty decent uh, golf shots as well today as we are uh, overlooking one of the fantastic holes here. Uh, at Fripp Island, and you know, we're talking a little bit about college football and, and the brink of uh, destruction <laughs> of the college football season, if you will, in 2020 and what that could look like, a split season possibly. I mean, uh, I, it's still just such a, such a nightmare, uh, really. And, again, you know, it's been over a week, I guess, you know, since I – made my projection or right at it that we we wouldn't have a college football season this fall and here's the thing like for all the you know for those of you like swanee how can you say that you there's not enough time i even saw mark packer you know i love you know i respect you know say that anybody that makes a projection right now about the college football season is just projecting and and doesn't know and he's right i don't know for a fact but what i can tell you is we're now a week closer we're a week closer, and I don't feel any better about the chances that we're going to have a college football season in 2020. Maybe this thing gets started up in you know in the winter, but you know Mark Packer's correct when I tell you that. I don't know it, I don't know it, but I haven't seen any evidence to suggest otherwise, and we are a week further along. 803-450-0086, 803-450-0086. Double O eighty six, the back porch edition of the show that shakes the Southland. Cicadas chirping in the background, maybe tree frogs making a little noise. Hey, boy, they are excited to see. 
I'm excited that you're here with us as well. Nonetheless, as we uh, look at Clemson extending an offer over the weekend uh, to the brother of a star Clemson football player, you know Travis Etienne well. You may not know his brother, Trevor Etienne. No, that's not a... That's not some cyborg that Dabo Sweeney cooked up in a lab taking the best of Trevor Lawrence and the best of Travis Etienne. Uh, This is Travis Etienne's younger brother out of Jennings, Louisiana. Got an offer from Clemson. You know, we talked in an exclusive interview uh, with Rusty Phelps. I don't know if you know who Rusty Phelps is or not, but he coached both Travis and Trevor Etienne. And, you know, you can dig into the archives over on our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, to hear what he had to say about Trevor Etienne and and what Trevor uh, potentially brings to the table by comparison to Travis, but for Clemson Tiger fans to be able to reach into the state of Louisiana and extend that offer, it's going to be, I think, a tougher road to hoe perhaps than landing Travis Etienne, but what you do have is something that you know Rusty Phelps knows is important to Travis Etienne's family, and that is the relationship that they have built uh, within the Clemson community. So, the Tigers, not the earliest to offer Trevor Etienne, but certainly a notable offer uh, for the young running back there in the state of Louisiana. And uh, all eyes from Clemson Tiger Nation will be on Travis and whether or not he can influence his brother enough to come to Clemson. It, it's funny because yeah, it doesn't always work. It re- really doesn't always work. And, and you can remember the storylines building into the – college football national championship this past season where Ed Orgeron and those guys, you know, they, they got in late on Travis Etienne. He was a former A&M commit, and they couldn't get him to stay in state. Even with the, the, the push and the relationships that you build, remember, Clemson didn't land Mike Davis. Mike Davis, brother of legendary Clemson running back James Davis, ended up a, a South Carolina Gamecock. So, just because you you know you've got some quote unquote skin in the game from the standpoint of the family, the ETN family, and what Travis has meant to Clemson University, you know maybe you could argue. You might could argue that perhaps Travis Etienne's decision to return to Clemson is indicative of how he feels about the school, is indicative of how his family views the school. I mean, he's a kid who could have gone on to the NFL and while running backs in the NFL, uh, the, the, you know, the, the lifetime of a running back in the NFL is, is limited, typically three years or less. But here's a kid who decided he wanted to come back and play another year and make a run at it, try to win another national title. Didn't want the last time that he walked off of the field to be the confetti falling on the other team. He wants to have the confetti falling on himself. Now, moving forward, I think the other thing that you have to at least entertain with a guy like Travis Etienne with COVID-19 and the storylines that, you know, college football potentially having to be reshaped and moved around, are guys like that beginning to regret their decision not to turn pro or does it matter? Yeah, I mean I think it's a legitimate question to ask because there's there's really two ways to look at it. I mean, you can look at Trevor Lawrence as a prime example. He didn't have a choice to come back. I mean, he didn't have a choice to leave. He only could come back. But he's probably going to be the number one overall pick whether he plays a season or not this year. But how is a guy like Travis Etienne affected? Is it you know is it adversely affected or not if you don't get to get out on the gridiron and play. One of the things I will say from the standpoint of a running back like Travis Etienne, who you would assume is not going to get a ton of volume in the number of carries he has because of how efficient he is and how efficient he's been. But if he, you know, if they if they don't play a college football season this year, I mean, this is a guy that's only worked out and hasn't, you know, worn off any of the tread on his tire, on the gridiron. So maybe that's a favorable view of ETN coming out at the end of this year uh, from that standpoint with the NFL draft and what it ends up being. But right now, folks, I'm telling you, I know I'm no expert. I know I don't have the inside scoop from Mark Emmert or the NCAA or 
John Swalford in the ACC. But from where I sit today, we are a week closer than we were the last time I told you we weren't playing college football in the fall. And I don't see one single ounce of evidence to say otherwise at this point. When that evidence comes in, Your Honor, I will present it to the jury. But for right now, I don't see you playing college football in the fall. I hate it, but that's where we are. 803-450-0086. Rolling along with you here on the show that shakes the Southland, the back porch edition, Fripp Island. That's where I'm hanging out right now. You may have heard the uh, cicadas, I guess, making some noise in the background. Perhaps even a golf cart or two cruising by. We're on the back porch and seen some guys come up and uh, hit some yeah, pretty decent uh, golf shots as well today as we are uh, overlooking one of the fantastic holes here uh, at Fripp Island. And you know, we're talking a little bit about college football and, and the brink of uh, destruction <laughs> of the college football season, if you will, in 2020 and what that could look like, a split season possibly. I mean, uh, I, it's still just such a, such a nightmare, uh, really. And again... You know, it's been over a week, I guess, you know, since I made my projection or right at it that we, we wouldn't have a college football season this fall. And here's the thing, like for all the, you know, for those of you like Swanee, how can you say that? You, there's not enough time. I even saw Mark Packer, who you know I love, you know I respect, you know, say that anybody that makes a projection right now by the college football season is just projecting and, and doesn't know. And he's right. I don't know for a fact. But what I can tell you is we're now a week closer. We're a week closer. And I don't feel any better about the chances that we're going to have a college football season in 2020. Maybe this thing gets started up in, you know, in the winter. But, you know, Mark Packer's correct. When I tell you that, I don't know it. I don't know it. But I haven't seen any evidence to suggest otherwise, and we are a week further along. 803-450-0086, 803-450-0086, the back porch edition of the show that shakes the Southland. Cicadas chirping in the background, maybe tree frogs making a little noise. Hey, boy, they are excited to see. I'm excited that you're here with us as well. Nonetheless, as we uh, look at Clemson extending an offer over the weekend, uh, to the brother of a star Clemson football player. You know Travis Etienne well. You may not know his brother, Trevor Etienne. No, that's not a that's not some cyborg that Dabo Sweeney cooked up in a lab taking the best of Trevor Lawrence and the best of Travis Etienne. Uh, this is Travis Etienne's younger brother out of Jennings, Louisiana. Got an offer from Clemson. You know, we talked in an exclusive interview uh, with Rusty Phelps. I don't know if you know who Rusty Phelps is or not, but he coached both Travis and Trevor ETN. And you, know, you can dig into the archives over on our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, to hear what he had to say about Trevor ETN and, and what Trevor uh, potentially brings to the table by comparison to Travis. But for Clemson Tiger fans to be able to reach into the state of Louisiana and extend that offer. It's going to be, I think, a tougher road to hoe, perhaps, than landing Travis Etienne. But what you do have is something that, you know, Rusty Phelps knows is important to Travis Etienne's family, and that is the relationship that they have built uh, within the Clemson community. So the Tigers, not the earliest to offer Trevor Etienne, but certainly a notable offer uh, for the young running back there in the state of Louisiana. And uh, all eyes from Clemson Tiger Nation will be on Travis and whether or not he can influence his brother enough to come to Clemson. It, it's funny because yeah, it doesn't always work. It re really doesn't always work. And, and you can remember the storylines building into the college football national championship this past season where – Ed Orgeron and those guys, you know, they, they got in late on Travis Etienne. He was a former A&M commit, and they couldn't get him to stay in state. Even with the, the, the push and the relationships that you build, remember, Clemson didn't land Mike Davis. Mike Davis, brother of legendary Clemson running back James Davis, ended up a, a South Carolina Gamecock. So just because... You, you know, you've got some quote-unquote skin in the game from the standpoint of the family, the ETN family, and what Travis has meant to Clemson University. You know, maybe you could argue 
you might could argue that perhaps Travis Etienne's decision to return to Clemson is indicative of how he feels about the school, is indicative of how his family views the school. I mean, he's a kid who could have gone on to the NFL, and while running backs in the NFL, uh, the the you know the the lifetime of a running back in the NFL is is limited, typically three years or less. But here's a kid who decided he wanted to come back and play another year and make a run at it, try to win another national title. Didn't want the last time that he walked off of the field to be the confetti falling on the other team. He wants to have the confetti falling on himself. Now, moving forward, I think the other thing that you have to at least entertain with a guy like Travis Etienne with COVID-19 and the storylines that you know college football potentially having to be reshaped and moved around, are guys like that beginning to regret their decision not to turn pro? Or does it matter? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a legitimate question to ask because there's, there's really two ways to look at it. I mean, you can look at Trevor Lawrence as a prime example. He didn't have a choice to come back. I mean, he didn't have a choice to leave. He only could come back. But he's probably going to be the number one overall pick whether he plays a season or not this year. But how is a guy like Travis Etienne affected? Is it, you know, is it adversely affected or not if you don't get to get out on the gridiron and play? One of the things I will say from the standpoint of a running back like Travis Etienne who you would assume is not going to get a ton of volume in the number of carries he has because lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Because of how efficient he is and how efficient he's been. But if he, you know, if they if they don't play a college football season this year, I mean, this is a guy that's only worked out and hasn't, you know, worn off any of the tread on his tire on the gridiron. So maybe that's a favorable view of ETN coming out at the end of this year uh, from that standpoint with the NFL draft and what it ends up being. But right now, folks, I'm telling you, I know I'm no expert. I know I don't have the inside scoop from Mark Emmert or the NCAA or John Swalford in the ACC, but from where I sit today, we are a week closer than we were the last time I told you we weren't playing college football in the fall, and I don't see one single ounce of evidence to say otherwise at this point. When that evidence comes in, Your Honor, I will present it to the jury. But for right now, I don't see you playing college football in the fall. I hate it, but that's where we are. 803-450-0086. Monday afternoon, Lawton Swan hanging out with you. You know, we've been going through on Mondays and checking out Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger, read by Dale Gilbert. Here's another chapter from that fantastic book. Ricky Capps was the number one Tiger during the 1980 through 1982 academic years. Ricky earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Agricultural Engineering in 1982. His hometown, Hendersonville, North Carolina. Here is his story. When I became the Tiger... I had big shoes to fill replacing Zach Mills. The team I was representing was joining Ohio State, Michigan, and Southern Cal, the real USC, just to name a few as a national football power. I wanted to be the perfect representative for the university, as well as a great entertainer. What better way than being the Tiger? The suit gives you a sense of confidence and a personality that is bigger than your own. My first appearance was the 1980 First Friday Parade prior to the home opener against Rice. 
I rode my motorcycle in the parade as the tiger. The next day, I rode into Death Valley without permission and was banned from riding in the stadium at future games. Today, I see the Demon Deacon leading his team onto the field with a motorcycle and wonder why I had to stop. Final score, Clemson 19, Rice 3. We arrived early in Athens, Georgia for the second game of the year, having made the 80-mile trip across the state line in two vans with the Clemson University seal on the doors. I had heard about dog fans but thought it was all hype. It wasn't. As we traveled toward the stadium, the fans walking along the streets would yell and taunt us as we passed by. In an effort to make an impression, I slipped on the suit, went out the passenger window, and climbed onto the roof of the car. This was immediately met with loud boos. Empty bottles were being hurled at the van as we passed the infamous train trestle near the stadium. Most missed, however, one damaged our windshield. Enough of riding on top of the van. Upon arriving at Sanford Stadium, the teams were stretching as the stands were filling up. I made my way onto the field to get a closer look at Herschel Walker, the Georgia running back. Herschel was everything they were writing about him, and in 1982 would win the Heisman Trophy. He looked bigger and more ominous the closer you got to him. Next was a walk over to the home of Uga, the team's bulldog mascot. As I was petting him, I asked if I could take Uga for a walk. After a few seconds, the person in charge agreed, but said to bring him right back. I set off down the sideline, and as time passed, they motioned for me to return. I shook my head. No! He started after me as I pulled on Ugga's leash. Bulldogs don't run very fast, especially in the heat. I was urging him on and eventually seemed to almost drag Ugga down the sideline. Georgia fans were booing and Clemson fans were laughing. Eventually, a few angry guards caught up to me and retrieved Ugga. Final score that day, number 10, Georgia 20, Clemson 16. Prior to another game, I decided to march with the Duke Flag Corps carrying a Clemson flag. The Clemson fans cheered loudly as I walked up and down the field. Later, during the game, I climbed up on the drum major ladder and pretended to direct the Duke band. I didn't realize the real drum major was on the ground looking up at me trying to do his job. On Monday, I had to write a letter of apology to the Duke administration. Final score that day was Duke 34, Clemson 17. The last conference game in 1980 was at Maryland. They had a car that looked like a turtle circling the track around their football field. I climbed on top and went for a ride. At the end of the field, there was a net filled with helium balloons to be released prior to kickoff. Well, after I got off the car, I headed to the net with the balloons, and I jumped into the net planning to lay there for a while. However, when I jumped, the net came loose, and all the balloons floated away. The Maryland fans and administration were not very happy. Final score that day, Maryland 34, Clemson 7. The second game in 1981 almost took place without the presence of the Tiger. The cheerleading squad and I traveled the 592 miles to New Orleans, once again in the two vans. On the day of the game, David Pinion, a cheerleader, was driving us around New New Orleans when he got involved in a fender bender. The New Orleans police were called to the scene and we assumed this would be taken care of at the scene, a minor citation issued, and we'd be on our way to the game with plenty of time. As Lee Corso would say, not so fast. If you're from out of state, you're taken to the police station and bail has to be arranged. I still remember David staring back at me from the back seat of the patrol car with this terrified look on his face as the car drove away. I followed the patrol car to the station, and time was now becoming a factor. Bail was set at $50. Well, David and I had $51 between us. With the bail paid, we sped off to the Louisiana Superdome. I changed into the suit as we pulled into the parking lot, and as I entered the Superdome, Tiger Band was playing, and I got there just in time to lead the Tigers onto the field. That was a close one. Final score, Clemson 13, Tulane 5. Anything can happen when you're playing Wake Forest on Halloween in Death Valley. There is no way I can describe what it was like doing push-ups during the game. First, I set the record for the most push-ups, 175, in the second quarter. Next, before I could finish doing 62 push-ups in the third quarter, the Tigers had scored again. This meant I would have to add seven more to the total and begin another set of push-ups, 69 more. Finally, there was a memorable moment in the fourth quarter when the Demon Deacon mascot came to my assistance. The push-ups were taking a toll on this Tiger. With a little help from the Demon Deacon, a new record was set for the most push-ups in a game. 465. This was the first and only time a visiting mascot has ever done push-ups to celebrate a Clemson score. My fellow mascot was definitely a first responder to this tiger in need. Now here is Clemson through the eyes of the demon deacon, Chris Kibler, as seen on that fateful Halloween afternoon. 
Well, it was a cloudy day in Death Valley, and it was getting cloudier by the minute as the Clemson Tigers had just scored their 69th point in the fourth quarter. I turned to our Mike man, Joe Morrow, and told him that, despite the somber mood on our side of the field, I was going to try and brighten things up a bit. As the Deacon mascot, I couldn't help but feel sorry for my fellow partner in crime in the Tiger suit on the home team side of the field. He was struggling to keep up with the exponentially growing number of push-ups, so I thought, well, if you can't beat them, join them. I wandered over to the end zone opposite of where the Tigers were hitting. When they finally crossed the goal line again, I ambled over to the Clemson cheerleaders and found a very fatigued Tiger, Ricky Caps, and basically mimed at him and to the crowd at the same time that I wanted to help him out in his time of need. It would be my honor to perform the 76 push-ups for him as a show of good sportsmanship. So they hoisted me up on that board and I cranked out 76 adrenaline-assisted push-ups. The crowd went wild and proceeded to pass both the Tiger and the Deacon overhead to the top of the lower section of the stadium. Little did I know, but that little show of mascot cooperation would be featured in the college football section of Sports Illustrated the next week. That afternoon in Death Valley was certainly one of the most memorable highlights of my three years as the Deacon. It didn't take long for someone to print a t-shirt with a picture of the tiger on it with his arms crossed over his head and the caption reading, No More Push-Ups! Just think how tired the mascot would have been in 1901 if there had even been a tiger doing push-ups when Clemson defeated Guilford 122 to nothing on Bowman Field, Clemson's original football field from 1898 to 1941. Dale Gilbert here again reading Clemson through the eyes of the tiger. We hit a quick break. We come back. We put a bow on the show. Final segment on the Monday afternoon. Appreciate Dale Gilbert there. When we play that audio from Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger, we get so much positive feedback. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to wrap things up. The Back Porch Edition from Fripp Island with one more portion of Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger, read by Dale Gilbert. Final score that day was number three, Clemson 82, Wake Forest 24. On Monday, I received a phone call from a radio station in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. The radio personality informed me we were on the air and that a bounty had been issued by a Tar Heel fraternity for $100 for anyone who would rip the tail from the suit and bring it to the fraternity house. Well, I gave a smart response assuring him that under no circumstance would the tail be torn from the suit. We had a fun exchange and the call ended. The next evening, he called again saying the fraternity had heard the interview and had increased the reward to $250. I countered by saying we would add additional security with muscle-bound cheerleaders and a South Carolina highway patrolman to counter such an attack. It was all in fun, and the conversation ended. On Thursday, I received my final call from the radio station, and the disc jockey said the fraternity had again increased the reward, this time to $500 for the tiger's tail. I went silent and thought for a moment. When asked if I had a response, I told him that, I was a poor college student, and for $500, I might deliver the tale personally to the fraternity house. Well, the station erupted in laughter. A couple of attempts were made for the tale during the game, but it remained intact, and Clemson went on to win that close game against the Tar Heels. Final score, number two, Clemson 10, and number eight, North Carolina 8. There was no way I could top the experience of total exhaustion at the Wake Forest game. But this was a very special year in Clemson football. I was given the honor of dotting the I prior to the national championship game at the 1982 Orange Bowl in Miami. Thank you, Clemson University, and congratulations to Coach Ford and the 1981 football team on winning Clemson's first team championship. At the time, the only other championship had been won by Noel Loban in 1980 as a 190-pound wrestler. Final score, number one, Clemson, 22 Number four, Nebraska, 15. My daughter Taylor, as a junior at Clemson in 2014, was fortunate enough to get a marketing internship with the athletic department. The doorbell rang at our house on my birthday in February. I opened the front door, and there stood the Tiger Cub, holding a sign that read, Happy Birthday, Dad! What a great surprise! Not only was the Cub visiting me on my birthday, but it was my daughter. As Clint Eastwood would say, make my day. Clemson always finds a special way to take care of family. In 2018, we lost another Tiger. Randy Fail was the number one Tiger during the 1982-84 academic years. Randy earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Administrative Management in 1984. Randy lived in Atlanta, his hometown, Aiken, South Carolina. Carol Ratchford was a cheerleader at my high school in Aiken. 
When she came to Clemson, she wanted to try out for cheerleading, so she asked me to help her with her stunts. When we arrived at the tryout at Fike Fieldhouse, there were about a hundred beautiful ladies and about fifty or so guys. I liked the odds. I was hooked and was selected for the junior varsity squad. After a year on the JV squad, I made the varsity squad the next year. The cheerleading squad consisted of six males and six females, a mic man, a cannoneer, and me as the tiger. Ricky Caps, the tiger the past two years, was graduating, and he thought I'd make a great mascot. Nothing like getting a letter of recommendation from the former mascot who held two push-up records. Here I was replacing Ricky, and Clemson was the defending national football champion. Not much pressure for a rookie mascot. The cheerleaders and I went to Summer Spirit National Cheerleading Association camp at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. During one of the cheerleader routines, I flew through the middle of the formation using a mini trampoline. What would have been a perfect 10 score in gymnastics helped me be named the mascot of the year at camp. It was a stunt I would repeat during basketball season, completing a full forward flip as I slam-dunked a basketball. With my own championship in hand, I was ready to open up the home football season against Boston College. It would be my burning-down-the-house moment. Dressed in full camouflage gear, I did a skit with a papier-mâché eagle borrowed from a first Friday parade float the previous night. After Tiger Band's halftime performance, I was poised on the 20-yard line with the cannon and my new papier-mâché bird. I started counting to three. One, two, and on the count of three, I pulled the cord and fired the cannon toward the eagle. The combustion from the blank shell sent the eagle through the air toward the upright and the end zone. Not quite a field goal, but a pretty good attempt, if you ask me. After the smoke had cleared, I went to retrieve my prey and began the famous tiger swagger to the sideline. Before I could make it off the field, the eagle erupted into flames. I suddenly felt like I was on fire. I threw my head off, yes, unthinkable, and I dropped the burning eagle on the field. Coach Ford was in his well-known pose on one knee as his players were warming up after the halftime break. His glare toward me almost put out the fire. With some help from those on the sideline, we quickly extinguished the fire. It left a three-foot circle burned on the home side. Final score that day, number 16, Clemson 17, Boston College 17. My chicken-on-the-loose moment almost got me arrested. I know it wasn't a red rooster, however, a chicken is a chicken. There I was, running on the field with a chicken tied to a rope until the chicken got loose. Clemson President Dr. Bill Ashley, 1979-1986, phoned down to the field and told two South Carolina Highway patrolmen to grab me. I told the officer he wouldn't make it out of the stadium with me in handcuffs. Fortunately, he agreed, so we were able to get the chicken back into the coop. Everyone was happy, at least those who were Clemson fans. Final score that day, number 13, Clemson 22, South Carolina 13. Appearances at special events were not as prevalent in the early 1980s as they are today. However, Beth Cousins, cheerleader and 1983 homecoming queen, persuaded me to participate in the Egg and Dairy Festival in Newberry. The only regularly scheduled appearance I had was at Calhoun Corners in Clemson. I appeared as the Tiger after each home game to sign autographs, joke with the crowd, and have my picture taken. And afterwards, I was able to enjoy a great meal, complimentary, with my girlfriend, Trelise Barton, who worked at the restaurant. She became my wife in 1986. All the former mascots watch the current Tigers. I can't stress enough how important it is to see an animated figure and not just a person in the suit. This means using huge motions throughout the day, from walking to running and especially waving to the crowd. Each gesture or action you make in the suit has to be to the extreme or you just look like a guy dressed in a suit. We want to see high energy. As you're constantly reminded, someone is always watching you, especially those in the mascot fraternity. Always good to hear those old stories from the lovely little island known as Fripp. Until then, as always, y'all take care now. And go Tigers! Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.